We give thanks to the Lord for all the effort of our musicians, all the years of practice, and that they can give an offering back to the Lord using the particular gifts that they have. It's a wonderful way to live your life, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. We already read this psalm out loud together, but to remind you that Psalm 32 is a moment of holy eavesdropping into the heart of a person that God has touched. Psalm 32, and the psalms that we're studying together in this series, this marvelous series uh, that we're just choosing, some of the most famous and beloved psalms, gives us intimate access to the heart of somebody who has been touched by the Lord. The Bible says, you have died and your life is now hidden in Christ. That's what we see here. Just the first few verses, again, to refresh your memory. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. So far, the reading of God's word. In the award-winning film The Mission, in the mid-1980s, Jeremy Irons and Robert De Niro are priests, Jesuits, who have been sent up to a mission high in the South American mountains. And you remember that Robert De Niro plays this, this mercenary soldier who has sometimes battled the Indians and even sold them onto plantations. And he gets into a, into a fight with his brother who had an affair with his wife, and he kills his brother, and he flees to the church for refuge. And, and there... There in the courts and in the church, he is found uh, acquitted, but he is converted. And he senses that he needs to do penance. And so he is sent from the church up to this mission in the mountains where Jeremy Iron has led a tribe to Christ. And what De Niro does in the film, you'll see in a moment, I'll show you a clip, is he takes a big net and he gets several hundred pounds of his belongings, weapons and, and kitchen equipment, hundreds of pounds, and he ties them up on a burden, as a burden and he lugs them and drags them up the mountain. And he is filthy and he is exhausted and he is staggering under the weight of the very weapons he used to sin. But these Indian tribesmen have learned of Christ. 
And while their fleshly impulse when they see him is to kill him and exact revenge, the chief somehow, and this is a wordless piece uh, that you'll be watching, somehow gives the command to forgive. And we see the reality of Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Would you show this to us, Mike? I hope that that is the experience of some of your hearts. The psalmist begins, blessed. And he says it twice. Once in verse 1, at the beginning of verse 2, blessed. And one English word is not enough to translate what we just saw. It's, it's more like saying, congratulations to the person whose sins are forgiven. Oh, how glad I am, and how happy we all are. And it's in the plural, how multiple blessings have come to you. Congratulations to you whose sins are forgiven. You might be here today, and you are lugging a rope of sin behind you. You are carrying things that you've said and done. Some of you are, are gasping under the weight of the guilt and the shame of things you've done years and years ago, and you just don't seem to let it go. You limp forward, straining through life. Blessed, doubly blessed, congratulations to the one who understands that in Jesus Christ your sins are forgiven. Now, this beautiful psalm is so powerfully and poetically packed with the experience of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He uses three different words. For sin, we have our English is poor compared to the richness of this Hebrew uh, language, where there are three different Hebrew words for sin used in the passage here. Uh, Charles Spurgeon calls this the three-headed dog barking at the gates of hell. Blesses the man whose transgression. What is a transgression in the Hebrew language? That is a defiant, rebellious act against Almighty God. And then later on, it is. Blessed are they whose sins are forgiven. And that word means missing the mark. That is, failing to achieve what the Holy God requires. And then in verse 2, we translate it again, sin. And maybe it would be better to translate it, the iniquities that we commit. And that is referring to a kind of bent, broken corruptness, corruption in the heart. A kind of perversion that's in the heart that is sinful, like a gnarly, bent tree. And the reason he uses all three of these is so that you know that whatever your sin is, as Jesus Christ said, all manner of sin may be forgiven. What have you done? What have you said? What have you thought? What damage is behind you. And then David uses another triad of words to express the fullness of forgiveness. I love this. 
The word forgiven, it means to lift a heavy burden and carry it away. And did you see that young man now take the burden off of De Niro's shoulders and, and push it, push it over the cliff. And it splashes into the river and he can't get it again. And the word sin, again, or, or the word to um, forgive is that he covers, it says he covers our sin. And that's a beautiful word, describing that God puts our sin out of sight. Covered so they don't surface again. And then the third phrase, not counted against, that's a very rich phrase. In fact, it becomes famous in the New Testament. And it's famous in the Old Testament. Remember when we studied the life of Abraham and it said in Genesis 15 verse 6 that God reckoned righteousness or he counted righteousness to Abraham? And when the Apostle Paul in the New Testament is explaining justification by faith, when he's explaining the imputation of our sins onto Christ and Christ's righteousness onto us in that great exchange, it is a reckoning that takes place. It's a counting that takes place. And don't you know that Paul the Apostle quotes our psalm, Psalm 32, verse 2, Blessed is the person whose sins the Lord does not reckon or count against them. It's all there the three-headed dog of sin, and the threefold forgiveness that is ours. Throwing it away, covering it over, and not counting it against you. It reminds me of the story, maybe I've even told it here, of, a, of the man who was telling his buddy about an argument he had with his wife. And he said, Every time we get into an argument, she gets historical on me. And his friend corrects him, and he says, no, no, you mean she gets hysterical on you. And he said, no, no, every time we get into an argument, she reaches back to old things that I've done, and she brings them up, and she throws them against me. She gets historical against me. And what this text teaches is that God will not get historical on his children. Your sins are covered, forgiven, not counted against you. Psalm 103, which we will look at in a number of weeks, for as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And I love the book of Micah 7.19. It says, You again will have compassion on us, you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea, down into the river at the bottom of the cliff. And the result, the result of that kind of forgiveness is blessed, blessed, happy. Congratulations to you. We are so happy for the multitude of reasons for joy that are yours. That's what he's saying right there at the beginning. That's how you can be happy and blessed. Now, in the middle of the uh, psalm, in these middle verses, verses 3 through 5, David, again, we're eavesdropping, and he shares his experiences, and he wants us to learn from his mistakes. Kids, your parents are often very honest with you about mistakes they've made. Why? So that you can learn from their mistakes. 
And he talks about getting depressed from his sin. Now, this is not about all, uh, every form of depression. But look at verse 3. Essentially, these passages teach us. You suppress or you confess. Which do you do? When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. What's David remembering? The time when he just was in denial about his sins. We talked about that last week, didn't we? In David's adultery with Bathsheba, he was in denial. And David is doing it here. He's not willing to face it. And um, it's very interesting. When we don't own our struggles, our moral struggles, and we don't own our sins, it says here, our bodies revolt. And I don't know if he's speaking uh, totally about physically, but, but we know that the emotions and the body are connected, aren't they? And you get a knot in your stomach and you get acid indigestion. You want to throw up sometimes when you realize just what you've done or what sins you may have committed. And, and there is, a, it's like heat in the summer. And it's humid. It's Panama in August. Proverbs 28.13 says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper. And so it's fair for your pastor to say to you today, what sins are you concealing? What are ways that you are living right now that maybe nobody else knows about, but you know about? You're seeing it in your own heart. Secrets. And they make us sick. What is it? See, today is a great day to come clean. Today is a great day after all we've sung, all we've read, what we have seen, what we heard in the testimony. David says, verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. You could say, God is depressing me. Yes, God is depressing you, not because he hates you, but because he loves you. He has, he has his hand on you in that area of your sin. And even at night, he feels God bearing down. Why? Because God cares about you so much, he won't let you go. Remember what we say around here? He loves you just as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you just as you are. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? And if you say, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't have any sins to think about. Thank you very much. Then I would say that that's a worse place to be than where David is. Because the honest truth is, who do we know? Who are the people we know who have no conscious sense of sin at all. I mean, Adolf Hitler had no sense, no conscience of sin. Mussolini had no conscience over sin. Joseph Stalin had no conscience over sin. But the Christian who knows God is holy and who yet we are told battle the flesh, we do know that there is reason to say, God, show me, cleanse me, awaken me. 
and return me to sanity. Remember last week, that's what we said. The Christian life is many, in many ways about coming back to sanity. Sanity about my need. My greatest need is to know my greatest need. <laughs> that I need a Savior. My greatest need is to, to come to sanity about my sin and then to know the sanity of my Savior's deliverance. And Psalm 32 gives this to us. Verse 5 tells us the right approach. It says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Instead of suppressing, David is now confessing. You got that? They rhyme. You can remember that. Instead of suppressing, he's now confessing. And he states the obvious. He stops trying to cover it up. And the word confess, it literally means to agree with. So when you're confessing your sins, you're agreeing with God about them. That's what the word means. It means to agree with. And, and last week, David finally said, God, you're proved just in your judgments. God, you've got it right. And now David here is saying, once again, God, you've got it right. And then he has personal ownership of it. Three times it's in the possessive. My sin, my transgressions, my iniquity. He uses, he uses all three words again. This is really important because if you're like me, what you tend to do is you are reluctant to make that my sin, my iniquity, my transgressions really mine because if you knew the family I was raised in, you would understand why I am like I am. If you knew the woman I was married to, then you would understand why I do what I do. If you had children like mine, you would understand. And David at last is done with the excuse-making and the denial, and three times he says, my sin, my iniquity, my transgressions. This is the model for us. We confess it and we no longer suppress it. And we're so much better off not arguing about what the meaning of is is. We are so much better off. And, you know, you say, well, I, I get really irritated at my boss. When what you should say is, I hate and disrespect the person who has authority over me. Well, I have a bad temper. Instead of saying, I sin against people with my words and they are like lava that flows out of my mouth. There's such relief, my friends. I'm just telling you, there's such relief testimony Tony gave at the beginning of the service was so powerful because he said, I sinned against that woman and I need to go to her now and ask her forgiveness and make it right and restore our relationship. You get a letter like that, how are you going to react, you see? You're going to say, oh, no, no, what? You, you don't have all the facts, you don't know. And Tony modeled that for us so beautifully. He just owned it, and there was relief. No more game-playing, no more wiggling around, you see. 
It's just relief. I have, I have a friend who was sober for a while. He was sober for a while, and then he started to congratulate himself in his sobriety. And now he's back on the bottle. And everybody has to tiptoe around him now. Nobody can say anything to him now. And, and he's, he explodes, and he's irrational, and his marriage is strained. But I talk to Christians I know who have now experienced sobriety for years and years, and they do it in humility. They do it in honesty. They acknowledge their struggles, and they don't kid themselves or anyone else with excuses. And I love them. I hope you meet people like that. They are models for us how to deal honestly, forthrightly, humbly with their struggles. Walking with the Lord in honesty, that is the way to live. That's how you get lifted up out of this kind of depression. And then point number three is how you can avoid being very stupid. This is very interesting. Verse 9 warns us about not being stubborn and stupid when it comes to following God. Do not be like the horse or the mule. Kim Aberman, would you come here for a second? Kim, Kim, this little waif of a human being here, she owns a horse. That horse is about 1,000 pounds. Over 1,000 pounds, 1,200 pounds. And if that horse gets a mind of his own, do you know that Kim is able to control that horse? Do you know how she does it? What is, what is this? Uh, this is his bridle. This is the bit. Okay, and with a, you place this in his mouth. It goes, this goes over his head. And with this, she controls a 1,200-pound horse that has a mind of his own, but she controls him. Why? Because, because there is pain, there is power in this little mechanism. Well, let's be honest. That, let's be honest. That he could kill her if she doesn't do it. And thank you, Kim. I have a friend named Jill, and she, she's, she's told me she is the president of the Bit and Bridal Club. In my old church, she, she used to say, I'm, I'm recruiting members of the Bit and Bridal Club. Who are they? Those are the Christians who sometimes revert back to mule status because they refuse to be teachable. They don't want to be taught. They don't want to be confronted. They're quite satisfied. Thank you very much with my life as it is. And I don't want to deal with my sensuality. I don't want to deal with my pride. I don't want to deal with my tongue. I don't want to deal with my, my anger and, and venom. I don't want to deal with my lust I can't stand the thought of facing my selfishness. And so Jill is the, the chairwoman of the Bit and Bridal Club. But David tells us here, you don't have to join that club. You don't have to be in that club. You don't. You should be in the teachable club. And he goes on and he says, the Lord says, I will instruct you in the way you should go. So the way to avoid being very stupid is to say... I want to be teachable. So you're going to repeat that after me. I'll say it, then you say it. I want to be teachable. I want to be teachable. Was that so hard? See, that's what a disciple is. A disciple, if, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're a learner. A disciple is a learner, someone who's teachable. And God says, bitten bridal club or teachable club? Which club are you in? Do you want to be in? 
That leads to point four. You commit to the joy of living through faith in Jesus Christ. Because, and I won't take the time to explain it, but in this psalm, the poetic center is verse six and seven. It's laid out in marvelous Hebrew poetry. And and the the lead point is right there in verses 6 and 7 with a great exclamation point in verse 11. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. And you will surround me with songs of deliverance. So, he says, turn to the Lord while he may be found. What do you think this means? It means don't put it off. Are you someone, uh, we could use the adjective to describe you as apathetic? I think there are many, many people in our world, and we could say, we could be apathetic about our relationship with the Lord. I'll get around to it. I want to do it, but I'd... It's, it's not the time for me. I, I rather prefer the pace of the snail. And, and David says, turn to him while he may be found. Moses says, number your days. Why? Because you don't know if you have tomorrow. And today is the day. Seek the Lord. Seek. It's a very active word. You're looking for him. And our youth group plays manhunt. It is, it is the best game in the world around this campus here. You wouldn't believe the hiding places there are in, this, uh, in these two buildings and, and around here. And, and the people who are seeking are seeking to find them. Seek the Lord like our teenagers seek each other when they're playing manhunt at, at youth group. Seek the Lord. Don't flirt with the world. In fact, Isaiah picks up on what King David says. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him to our God. And he will freely pardon. Isaiah knows Psalm 32, doesn't he? Lord, you are my hiding place. And the way I think about this, I read an article last year, it still haunts me. And it asks the question to the Christian, are you a fan or a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a fan or a follower? What's a fan? A fan sits in the stands and gives his, his, his approval to his team and the players out there. But he says that's not what a Christian is. A Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ. A Christian gets in the game. In fact, what David says here is a Christian is hidden in Christ, so enveloped into Jesus Christ. that He is with Christ as he goes forward in life, and Christ is in him. Are you a fan or a follower? Are you hiding in Jesus. What do we the, the hymn we love to sing Jesus what a strength in weakness let my let me hide myself in him right tempted tried and sometimes failing he my strength my victory wins. I love that hymn. Hide in him. You know there's a lot in the Bible about hiding. It's the first game any little child place. <laughs> Our little granddaughter, Evelyn, we Skype with her. We, she, we put the 
computer on her high chair, you know, and it's taking a picture of her. And we set the, the laptop up on the kitchen table while we're eating there. And we have dinner with our granddaughter, Evelyn. And what do we do? We play hide and seek with her. You just duck down out of the view and then pop back up and she squeals with delight. And in her own way, she'll kind of turn away and then come back. In the opening scenes of the Bible, however, hide and seek was not so good. What happens? Satan tempts Eve. She takes the forbidden fruit. She and Adam partake of it. And then God comes walking in the cool of the day. And God says, where are you? And what does Adam say? He says, I heard you coming. And I realized that I was naked. And I hid. And so, you see, this is the explanation of the impulse to hide from God. But God doesn't play hide-and-seek. He plays a different game. It's called seek and be found. And I still remember when my boy Andrew was three years old and we played hide-and-seek. And Andrew would go upstairs and I'd count to 100 by 5, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, and he would always hide in the same place. He would be under the covers in, in our bedroom. And I'd go upstairs and I'd be loud. I'd say, where's Andrew? And I would go into the bathroom and I'd lift up the toilet lid. Is Andrew in here? And he'd giggle. He'd say, no. I'd go into the closet. I'd say, is Andrew in here? He'd say, no. I'd come into the bedroom and I'd look under the bed. Is Andrew under the bed here? He'd say, no. And finally he couldn't take it anymore because I knew how to drive him crazy. And he'd throw off the covers, come running over and jump into my arms. Here I am, Daddy. I said, but that's not how you play the game. He said, I don't care. (laughs) He did know how to play the game. God's game. God's way. Hide yourself in God. Hide yourself in Christ. Colossians 3.3. If you're a Christian, listen to this. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. That's what it says about you. And so, are you pulling the net of weapons like Robert De Niro up the mountain? And you need today for the Lord to slice that rope and to toss your sins over the cliff down in so that they, you, don't, you, don't, you can even forgive yourself now. You can forgive yourself because the Lord has forgiven you. At the cross of Jesus Christ, where atonement was made, payment was made, and there's no double jeopardy. If you're ready for that now, I invite you to pray with me. And let's hide ourselves in him. Let's bow our heads now and pray. Lord Jesus, I know that for a long time, at least some of us can say this, not all of us, but some of us can say, I have kept you out of my life. But I admit today that I am a lot like that guy Mendoza. I'm a lot like that guy, King David, who wrote Psalm 32. And I want today to be the day when the angels say, and, and my friends here in this church say, congratulations to the one whose sins are forgiven, whose iniquity the Lord does not reckon or count against him. 
because I'm going to trust in you, Lord, as my Savior, and no longer myself. So come, Lord, to us and confirm in every person here that blessedness, I pray. I want to thank you for taking my sins on the cross. I want to thank you for being my Savior and Lord. And I want to surrender to you uh, leadership of my life. I'm going to hide in you, Lord. When I'm afraid, when I'm angry, when I'm feeling alone, I'm going to hide in you. When I am depressed, I'm going to hide in you. And I know you will keep me safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.